was a time many years ago in my life that I surrendered to whatever God would have for me. I don't necessarily feel like I have a Acts chapter 9, Road of Damascus story where Saul's walking and the bright light shines down and it's very clear to him that God's speaking to him. That wasn't necessarily my testimony. My testimony is more like just when Jesus walked up to the disciples and he said, hey, follow me, and they gave up what they had and they followed him. And that's, that's where I come from. I, I certainly have, my life has been a testimony of just follow me and I take a step and then God says follow over here and I take a step and really just understanding that the Great Commission is my mission. And that's for all of us today to recognize that we are, ought to live on mission, whatever that may look like and wherever we may be. And so this morning, I want to just talk to you a little bit. The title of my talk this morning is How Jesus Reached the Lost. If you're here this morning and you have accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you have that relationship with Him, then you understand that it is um, our duty, our responsibility, our calling as Christians to tell others about Him. That's the Great Commission. And if we're honest, though, we can, we can say, wow, that's a big deal. That's a lot. Like, to think about it's my responsibility, it's my challenge for me to have to tell someone else, and even the entire uh, area of Columbus, we have to, Fellowship Baptist Church has to reach all these people. Then you think about Ohio, and it gets bigger, and you think about the United States, and you think about the world, and there is a lot of people that need to be reached for the cause of Christ. But can I tell you that Acts chapter 1, verse number 8 says, "Ye shall be witnesses unto me. And then he uses a unique word. He says, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And can I tell you, my friend, that it's not an either or. It's not a we reach our local area or we send missionaries to go. It's not a the pastors do it and I don't. This is our mission, both to reach people here, both to reach people throughout Ohio, and both to reach people in the world. And that's what we're called to do. And I'd like to encourage you this morning that whatever we're called to do as Christians— whether it be how we manage our time, our relationships, our mission, our methods, whatever we're called to do, we can look to Jesus Christ. He lived on this earth as an example for us in how we ought to do what we should do. And this idea of the Great Commission, I believe we can look at an example of how Jesus lived and accomplished this. Would you turn with me to John chapter 9? We're going to look at John chapter 9 this morning and what I like to do is just kind of look at a passage, and I'll read a verse, and I'll talk through it, and then we'll read another verse, and we'll just kind of walk through this chapter this morning in the time that we have. But I believe that Jesus gives us a wonderful example of how to reach others for him. And so as you're turning this morning, let's go together in prayer. This, uh, this would be a time that's profitable for us. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth and the promises that we can just re rely on God. We, we rest in those promises. But God, I also thank you for the example that you've given us in Jesus Christ. God, you don't leave us here on earth just wandering about, wondering how we ought to live. You show us through the scriptures how we ought to live. And I pray this morning we would open up our hearts and just be willing to hear what you have to say to us. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory for it. In your name we pray. Amen. At this point, Jesus has begun his earthly ministry. He has um, claimed to be the Messiah, and others are hearing about that, and to some that's a positive response, and to some that's a negative response. But regardless, there are crowds of people that are constantly following Jesus around. Everywhere he goes, there are people that are around him, and, and by the masses of people. Jesus couldn't hardly escape the people. And we see him pick up the story in the middle of his earthly ministry in John chapter 9. It says, as Jesus passed by... He saw a man which was blind from his birth. 
This morning, I want to notice that Jesus is is passing by somewhere. He's going from one point to the other, and he stops and he recognizes this man, which was blind from his birth. Can I recognize this morning first that Jesus always saw people as individuals? Jesus didn't allow the crowds and the masses of people to, to allow him to miss the one person that he was wanting to minister to that day. The one person that he could help in that situation. I think about um, Zacchaeus, Luke chapter 19. Jesus is walking by. There's masses of people so far up ahead. There's a line as he's getting ready to come through like a parade. And there's this one man up in the tree. And he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, you come down. He saw the group of people, but then he noticed an individual. I think about in Luke chapter 8, there's masses of people around him. And one lady reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. And he stops and he says, who touched me? He's willing to look at people as just individuals. Can I ask you this morning, what do you see when you look at people? When you leave these doors, do your eyes just kind of gloss over to all the business? Does it just look like ants to you that are just working their anthill and there's people just coming and going everywhere and that's the way you see it? Or do you stop and say, there's a person that God cares about. There's a person that is a singular individual that God crafted and cares about and loves. And Jesus stopped to see people, even amongst the crowd of people, to notice an individual. He didn't allow the masses to to just generalize his, his compassion. You see, because with anything, if we generalize something, if we generalize a problem in our life, it's so easy for us to generalize a solution. We do this with all sorts of economic issues and politics and even Christianity. We, in our best efforts, we say something like, I really want our world to be reached for the cause of Christ. Boy, I hope our world can get reached for the cause of Christ. And we say that with good intentions, but when we generalize that need, that, that, that thing, it's so easy for us to go, boy, and I, ho- I sure hope somebody goes. I sure hope that person does what, you know, I sure hope the church does what, no, 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 how about this? I want to reach my coworker for the cause of Christ. And when we make that personal, boy, it calls for that personal response. And that's what Jesus did. He, he looked at people as individuals. He didn't generalize it. I see also that he didn't see people as projects or as problems. Culturally speaking, this man who was sitting on the side of the road would have been one that would have been uh, a little bit cast out. It would have been believed culturally in that day, and we'll see that here in a minute in the scripture, that um, they would have believed somebody sinned, which caused the, the blindness in this situation. And so because of that, this would have been a very, can I say, messy situation for Jesus to get involved with. It had some cultural implications, some crossing the the cultural normal lines, some, some, some reaching into an area that would have normally just been let go. But he didn't see the project or the problem. He saw hope. He saw somebody who needed help. He saw a future for this man. And sometimes if we're not careful, we get so refined in our Christianity that somebody might walk in the doors even of this church. And in our Christian mind, in our best efforts, we might stop and start speculating. But what, what happened here? What happened with this person? What, what, what parents stepped out of the picture over here? What person didn't finish an education over here? We might start speculating what went wrong, but not Jesus. When Jesus saw someone, he saw hope. He saw the opportunity. He saw someone who needed to be loved. Look at verse number two with me, if you would. His disciples They asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Can I tell you this morning, the disciples saw something, but they saw the wrong thing. 
Maybe they saw Jesus noticing this man. Maybe they saw Jesus glancing at this man. And they took the opportunity to, to say, Jesus, tell us about what went wrong here. And Jesus, Jesus, he responds to them in verse number three. He says, Jesus answered, neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. He responds to their question. And boy, we could spend a lot of time just even on his response. It's not a sin. It's so that God could be glorified. But as we continue on, he quickly diverts their attention to this thought. He says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Can I tell you that Jesus, he responded to their question, but what he wanted them to know was the urgency in which they should live. I noticed this morning that the way we can model the way Jesus reached others is Jesus lived with urgency because he knew his time was short. Jesus only had but three years of earthly ministry. He knew that he had to live with an urgency. He had to make every moment count. He had to take advantage of the individuals in his life that he was called to minister to. That's how Jesus lived, with an urgency. Have you ever, um, have you ever worked against the clock? My, my son is um, in fourth grade now, but um, he was homeschooled for a little while, and so I had, last year and I had the opportunity to get involved with this schooling a little bit. And, and you know, if you give a, what would have been a third grader then a math paper, let's say, He'll sit down and he'll accomplish that math paper. It'll take a little while, he'll take his time. But boy, you put a 60-second clock against, right up in front of my third grader in a math paper, let me tell you, he's all over it. He's just going to town. He's just filling it out so fast. Why? Because there's a clock. Maybe some of you have done um, an escape room. Have you done an escape room? I enjoy doing escape rooms. They're fun. You get a group of people together. And as I travel internationally, I tell people about escape rooms, or I have told people about escape rooms and... Um, you know, you explain it to somebody, say, in Africa about an escape room. You say, yeah, we, we do this thing in the United States where we, we, there's an organization. You go and you pay them money, and then they, uh, they lock you into a room, and you have to figure out how to get out, you know? And they're like crazy Americans. What are you doing? This is what we do for fun, you know? Um, but when you do an escape room, can I tell you that you're in there with a group of people. Sometimes they're really good friends. Sometimes it's just random people that's a group together. And, uh, and you get in there. And let me tell you, Pastor Chris, you're working together. Boy, there's that synergy that comes along with that. Why? There's that clock there. There's no bickering and fighting about who's, who did what last week or who's wearing the wrong thing that they shouldn't wear, who's doing, no, no, it's like, okay, you do that. You get the blue light. You check out that coat over here. I'll be working on this padlock. We're working together. Why? Because there's a clock and we know there's a time that we have. And can I tell you this morning, Christian, there's a clock on your life as well. There's a clock on all of our life. And if we will recognize that our time here on earth is numbered, there's a certain amount of days that each of us have left to live for the kingdom before we slip into eternity. We will live with urgency. In verse number six, we continue on. When he had thus spoken, he, that's Jesus, spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, go, wash in the pool of Shalom, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and he washed, and he came seeing. This morning, I want to recognize again that when Jesus recognized a need, he was always moved to action. It was one thing for Jesus to stop and address this man who was on the side of the road, the man who was just blind and was just begging as people were walking by. It was one thing for him to see it. It was an entirely different deal for him to do something about it, to take action towards it. Often in the scriptures, it's recorded that Jesus was moved with compassion. 
That means an action. It wasn't just that his heart hurt for those around him. It's that he decided, here's what I can do about those around me, about the pain around me. And, and he, he, he wanted to do something about it. And can I tell you that, as we said a second ago, he lived with urgency. I think it's important for our culture to recognize that urgency and busyness are not the same thing. Because if we're not careful in our society and the culture and just which we all get sucked into, we will be very busy, but urgency looks more like intentionality. Jesus was going from one place to the next, it says in verse number one, but he stopped and he ministered to this man. The urgency that he, he lived with was not a busyness, it was an intentionality. And when he did that, he, he was moved to help someone. If we're going to live and love like Christ, we must put some action to the needs around us. We must do something about what we see around us. We must help. But if I'm being honest, and if you would be honest with me this morning too, I think you would agree. The needs of those around us, both physical needs and spiritual needs, are so great that it can actually be paralyzing. Can you agree with me there? We go through our day, we go through our week, and we go through our lives the way we do. And we see so many things, whether it's on the news or just simply right in front of us or however we process what we see. And, there, and there's so much, and even if our heart bleeds a little bit, we still just go, I don't even know where to start. Like, if I, I don't even know what to do. And a pastor said this years ago that I heard him say, and it really spoke to me over the years, and I've tried to apply it as much as I can. He said, do for one what you'd like to do for all. And that really helped me. You see, because my heart is one, I trust your heart is as well, we want to help people. But we want, if we were to all nod our head in agreement, we would go, yes, we want all of Columbus to be reached with the gospel. Would we agree? We want that. But boy, when we think about doing that and accomplishing that, it's, it's such a task that we go, oh, okay, I'll just scroll Facebook, right? <laughs> so, you know, like, we just, we do some diversion of that. But when we stop and say, I can do for one what I'd like to do for all, boy, it changes the whole picture. Now I have a mission. Now I have a, 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 a thing that I can work towards. And another thing that I see in Scripture that I really appreciate and really what drew me to the ministry that I'm working with with Medical Missions Outreach is that Jesus often addressed physical needs even before addressing spiritual needs. And I find that interesting because I grew up kind of honestly doing it opposite. I, in my passion of sharing the gospel, would go and talk to perfect strangers and either knock on their door or some way, and I would give them a gospel invitation, or I would even ask them, do you know if you're going to heaven? I would, we would talk about Jesus, and, and there's not a wrong way of doing that, for sure. Talking about Jesus is always a good thing, but I would often share Jesus with them first, and if they accepted, and they were then a part of my church family, then I would be willing to minister to their, their needs, right? That's what we often do. But Jesus, I find here and in other stories, he actually did that opposite. He stops and addresses this man's physical needs even before addressing his spiritual needs. And I find that challenging. And it really just really speaks to what your mission is. We can all help someone in our life. Certainly if we were to say, okay... We're going to help every physical need we see. We're going to help every person broke on the side of the road and every person who needs their leaves raked or all these different things. I recognize we would not even get to work tomorrow morning, right? Our family would get neglected. We'd be so busy helping people with their physical needs. It wouldn't be a balanced life. But do for one what you'd like to do for all. There is a one in your life 
You've been given someone in your life, and, and it is no small thing to, to focus on that person and say, God, you've given me this person in my life. How can I best serve them so that they can know who you are? And I believe with all my heart that a lot of times that looks like helping people with their physical needs even before their spiritual needs. Taking that time. It might cost us money. It might um, take some time from our life, but we can do for one what we'd like to do for all. Jesus stops and he heals this man's eyes. He makes the clay and he sends him to go wash and his eyes are opened up. He can now see for the very first time another human face. He's never seen that before. He can now see the creation that God's made with the sky and the trees and, and, and what should be a wonderful day turns out to be a very bad day for this guy. If we were to read the rest of the story, he tells his neighbors in verse number eight um, that he's healed. They, they saw him and he, they said, what happened? Isn't this the beggar that was sitting here and needing? Yeah, this was him. What, what happened over here? And they, he said, well, it was Jesus. Jesus uh, came by and he said he healed me. And they said, okay, I don't know about that. Let me take you and have you talk to the Pharisees. They walk him into the Pharisees and they said, this man claims that his, he was blind and now he sees and he says it was Jesus. And the Pharisees go, well, that sounds nice and all, but it was on the Sabbath day. So that could not have been Jesus that healed you. And he said, I'm telling you, it was Jesus. He'd made clay, put it on my eyes. I washed and now I can see. And they said, okay, we'll call your parents in. They call his parents in. In verse number 20, his parents answered and said, we know this is our son. I acknowledge this is who he is. But how he sees now, we don't know. He's grown up, ask him. His own parents won't even stick up for him. And so he gives his testimony again in verse number 23 or 24. I'm telling you, I just saw Jesus. He put this stuff on my eyes. He washed it. In verse number 24, 34, we see the response. They, that's the spiritual leaders of that day. That's the, the Christian people that he probably would have looked up to in that day. They answered and said unto him, thou wast altogether born in sins and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out man, what should have been the most wonderful day in this man's life. He's just had his, his greatest physical need has been um, given to him. And he's cast out, rejected. But verse number 35, Jesus, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he, that he is Jesus, when Jesus had found him, that's the man, Jesus went seeking for him. When Jesus had found him, he said unto him, dost thou believe on the son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Can I tell you this morning, Jesus always seeks to heal and redeem mankind. He's, he's sought for you. If you've responded to his seeking to you, he's, he has a relationship with you now. Maybe you once had a relationship with him and, and you've let that go. Can I tell you that he would love a relationship with you again? He seeks that relationship. He seeks that, that healing and that wholeness. And he did not neglect this man's need for salvation. You see, because Jesus knew that even though his greatest physical need had been accomplished, his eyes had now been opened, he was not made whole until he recognized who Jesus was. And this morning, can I tell you, our society... Our culture is searching for so many things for wholeness, for completion. We're reaching and we're grabbing for bigger houses and nicer cars and better jobs and better clothes and all these things just to make us feel whole and complete. But we will never find that wholeness, that completion outside of Jesus Christ. And can we just take a minute this morning as we close to, to recognize he sought you out. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. 
And the only way that you'll be made whole is to have that relationship with him. But then as we do have that relationship, what are we going to do with it? How are we going to tell others what they need to hear? Sure, there's many different ways to do that, I understand. Your mission might look like a lot of different ways to do this. But what I believe is what Jesus did is he took time to identify what someone's physical need was even before addressing what their spiritual need was. He took time to love someone, to minister to someone. Maybe it looks like a neighbor, maybe it looks like a coworker, maybe it just looks like being a listening ear to someone as they're going through a difficult time. I don't know what it is for you, but I am confident that every person here has a specific mission that you're called to complete, that nobody else can complete. You are put where God puts you for a purpose, for a reason, there's, there's an exact place that you'll be this week and there's people around you that I believe that you have the ability to minister to. And it might look like a little bit of time, it might look like a little bit of money, but boy, we can do for one what we'd like to do for all. Jesus sought us out. Jesus was searching for us. Let's tell others that he loves them as well.